If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. A couple of weeks ago, we finished up James chapter 2, and this week we'll be in James 3, verse 1. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have chosen to give us Your Word through which You would reveal Yourself and Your Son. And we pray that by the power of the Spirit that You would apply what is preached this morning to our lives so that we would become more like Your Son whom You reveal. Father, would You help me to get all distractions out of the way to put myself aside and simply to be a servant in Your hands giving Your people Your Word for Your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Treason is constitutionally defined as a breach of allegiance and of the faithful support that a citizen owes to the nation within which he lives. If an ambassador of the United States goes before a foreign country, they are given an agenda and a script If an ambassador of the United States goes before Russia or before China or before North Korea or any other nation, they are given exactly what they are to say and speak on behalf of the nation they represent. As a representative, they are sent to represent the nation and not to go out and do what they want to do, not to go out and be a lone wolf saying whatever they choose to say and doing whatever they choose to do. And therefore... Anyone who goes out as an ambassador and speaks on their own behalf, speaks on what authority they assume they have of their own, they could be charged with treason. And the punishment for those who commit treason is, as the United States Penal Code Title 18 states, a penalty of no less than $10,000 of a fine and five years in prison. That is, of course, if the highest penalty of the crime of treason is not enacted, which is the punishment of death. And this brings us to our first point that I want us to see in this sermon. In James chapter 3, verse 1, James, the pastor, the teacher, the one who would train other pastors and teachers within the context of the church, is reminding us that pastors are accountable for the flock that we are held accountable for the flock. I'm held accountable for everything that I speak and say. And James, here in verse 1, will remind us of our first point, that I am called to be an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador for Christ. If we look around today, we'll notice that we're in no short supply of talking heads. We're in no short supply of churches all around. There are churches on every street corner, and sometimes there are multiple churches on the same street. So it's not as though we're in short supply of churches and of talking heads. But what we are desperately in short supply of today is preachers who will stand firmly upon the Word of God. There are many who uh, wouldn't have a problem with ziplining onto the stage and having the spotlight shine directly on them so that they can be seen and heard. We see plenty of churches popping up today 
that have that sort of mentality. That as long as they can put a celebrity type preacher up front, then they'll draw a big crowd. And that's all that, that, that really matters is the number of people in the pews on Sunday morning. But what James reminds us of here is that to be a pastor, to be one who is held accountable for the flock, is much more than just drawing big crowds. It is about standing firm upon the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon once said, No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home until you have something worth saying. If Christ is not at the center of the sermon, if Christ is not at the very heart of all that is done within the church, then we might as well just shut the doors because we have nothing else to be here for. I love you all. I love being with you all and I love seeing you all. But if Christ is not what binds us all together, then we might as well not even come together. Because all we have is a glorified social club, a country club with events to draw nice crowds and to draw some people and attract people from the community. But beloved, what we have here as the church at the center of everything that we do must be the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what we need today is not merely more preachers and teachers. What we need today is more preachers and teachers of the Word of God. What we need today is people who understand that they are held accountable before God for everything that they say and do behind the pulpit. In a word, we need more ambassadors for Christ. We need fewer celebrities and more people who view themselves simply as a servant. If we go back to James chapter 1, James chapter 1 verse 1, if you'll turn with me there. James, remember, is known, could be known for all sorts of things. He could have been known for a great preacher. He could have been known for a pastor. He could have been known as a teacher in the synagogue, one who taught other preachers how to preach. James was known in uh, Galatians. He was referred to by Paul as a pillar of the faith. So James could have been referred to as any number of things. But James in James chapter 1, verse 1, as he introduces himself to the churches that existed at that time, doesn't choose to introduce himself as a celebrity. He doesn't choose to introduce himself as the great and honorable James. He simply says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James submits himself under the authority of God saying, I'm simply a servant. And I stand here before you this morning, not as one who views myself as being something really great, but as someone who is simply a servant of God. I simply want you to know the Word of God. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 20 and 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I had a pastor when I was growing up, who every Sunday he would say, turn in your Bibles to such and such text. And he would tell us four or five times, we're going to be in this text, we're going to be in this text, we're going to be in this text, turn with me. I want you to actually turn with me in your Bibles. And he often made a joke about it and said, I want you to be there with me in the Bible because I don't want you to think that I'm reading from the Sears and Roebuck catalog this morning. 
May I simply remind us of something this morning. Something that we all well know here at Mount Carmel. We have a book. I've often heard preachers who have come to me and said, I don't know what to preach on. I've run out of things to preach on. And I'll remind them, preach it again. Preach the book again. Even if you've preached it all the way through, preach it again. Because this book, this Word of God is living and active. This is the only thing that can act as a sword piercing into the very deepest recesses of our being, showing us what is within us so that we can deal with it before the throne of God. And what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are not representatives of self. We're not representatives simply and ultimately of Mount Carmel Baptist Church. We're not representatives of Campbellsville, Kentucky or of Taylor County, Kentucky. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you go out, invite people to come into the church. Absolutely. Give them a card. Say, hey, I go to Mount Carmel. I'd love for you to come visit with me. But ultimately, let them see Jesus in you. Let them see that you are a servant of Christ. I know I've quoted it so many times before, but Romans chapter 1, verse 16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not my wisdom, not my strong speech, not my ability to, to say things in a way that's really attractive for people, as if any of that existed. But the power of God unto salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to see this community revived, if we really truly want to see revival in this church and in the community and in the neighborhood and in the county, and we pray God would bring revival to the nation. If we want to see that, then we have to begin with the gospel. And we can't lose it somewhere along the way. It must be the gospel that we represent. It must be the gospel of Christ that we are ambassadors of. And what that reminds us of is that church attendance cannot save us. Having your name on a church membership roll cannot save you. Baptism can't save you. All baptism will do if you don't truly have Christ is bring you down a dry center and bring you up a wet center. Good deeds won't save you. Your mama and your daddy can't save you. And the preacher can't save you. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing in that and having it prick the heart that is within you to show you how desperately in need of Christ you are. And you repent. You turn away. You about face and say, I want nothing more to do with my sin anymore. I see Christ in front of me and the cross is all that I care to cling to. That is what will save. It is the gospel of Christ that saves. And therefore, it is the gospel of Christ that we must Proclaim. There are many, though, who, as John says in 1 John chapter 4, that there are many who are from the world, and therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Many preachers today simply feed people a spoonful of sugar with no call to repentance, no admonition to live in holiness, no terror put into the hearts of men. And that would be, I think, one of the greatest needs that we have today is that we need again the fear of God. We need again for people to understand that hell is real and hell is hot and that God will judge sin and sinners exactly where you stand. And far too many pulpits fail to preach that this morning. If we are ever to get to the good news of the Gospel, we must first address the bad news of man's sinfulness. Until I'm aware that I have cancer, I'll never seek a doctor. 
until we're aware of how desperately sinful we are, we'll never seek a Savior. And people need to know just how desperately wicked we are apart from Christ. And I want you to notice three things that Paul says in this passage of 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. First, he says that we are ambassadors for Christ. We're not merely called to be public speakers. We're not called to be the chef. We are called to be simply the servers of the gospel. We are not called to give the gospel our personal flair, a special seasoning that we've added into it, or a sugared coating in order to make it go down a little bit easier as we dish it out. But we are to preach the truth of the gospel, the whole counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. We are called to preach that hell is hot and that heaven is real and that sinners can be saved by the grace of Christ if only they turn from their sins and believe in Christ. And that, beloved, is what we are called to be ambassadors of. I don't care if anyone knows my name. I don't care if I live my whole life and die and people forget that I even have a gravesite. What I care about this morning is not how well you like me or how much you know me or how much the community knows me. What I care about this morning is how well you know Christ, how much you love Christ, and how deep your relationship is with Him. I don't care about my name. I care about the name of Christ. And this is why we preach through books of the Bible. Not just cherry-picking verses out of context and feeding them trying to put my own spin on them and get you to believe what I think the text says. But I like to preach books of the Bible verse by verse and word by word so that you can see that I'm not reading from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, but that I'm reading from the Word of God that has the power to save, that has the power to do what God has done in my life. We have been given our script. We have been handed down what we are to speak. We are not allowed to come up with something new, with something different, with something that we deem as more relative or more relevant. This Word of God is the most relevant and active and living thing, the most active and living piece of literature that we have ever known. And if you don't believe me, just look around. Look around and you'll see prophecies of Scripture fulfilling all around us. You'll see that God's prophecies that He has made through the prophets and the apostles are being fulfilled even now. And not only the prophecies, but you'll also see that the very same issues that people dealt with in Scripture, the very same issues of homosexuality and abortion, the very same issues of idolatrous behavior, the very same issues of waywardness in the generations that came before us, all of the same issues that people in the Bible dealt with are the same issues we deal with today. It's not as though the Bible is some old and outdated book, but that it speaks directly to our culture where we are today. And so we don't need something new. We don't need to edit or take out portions of Scripture or add things so that it becomes more active and more relevant to our culture. We have a book. We have the Word of God. And it tells us exactly what we need to know unto salvation. Brother Paul Washer, one of my favorite preachers, once gave this illustration to help drive home the point that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Imagine that there is a king. That we live in a kingdom and there is a king who has to go off to war. And before the king goes off to war, he calls you into his court and he says, care for my wife. Care for my bride, your queen. Take care of her. Treat her well. 
uh, honor her, respect her, protect her as I'm gone at war. And for a while you do. For a while you would be willing to lay down your life in protection of this king's bride. But then the king doesn't come home. The king is gone for a while. He's gone for a month, for two months, for three months. And eventually, he's gone for a year. And you begin looking around saying, when's the king coming back? Is he ever coming back? And the people begin to lose interest in the bride. They begin to lose interest in the queen that you were called to protect and to serve and to care for. And so what you do, in order to make people more attracted to her, is you strip her of her fine white linens. You put her in something more appealing, more attractive. You take off her pearls around her neck and you begin to adorn her with things that are more appealing to people. And before you know it, the queen that you were called to protect doesn't look anything like the queen that you were given. And as the king comes home and he returns from war, what will that king do with the person who was called to protect the flock, to protect the queen? He will kill that person where they stand. He will say, you have made a mockery of my bride. You have made a mockery of my kingdom. You have done something with her that I did not call you to do. I called you to protect her, to, uh, to shield her purity. And in the same way, we see very many churches doing that today. Pastors have been called to shepherd the flock. Pastors have been called to care for the flock and to protect the flock and to serve the flock. But what we see instead is that far too many churches today have begun to get tired of waiting for Christ's return. They've begun to get tired of simply giving the Word and so they've stripped the church of her pure white linens and given her something more attractive. They've stripped the church of her beautiful adornments and giving, given her instead something that might, might uh, collect celebrity status for them. And so the church looks nothing like the church. But we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called not to be like talent managers for the church, trying to display the church and give her to the highest bidder, the highest tither, or to the largest crowd. But we are called simply to be servants of God. The second thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 is, is that it as though God is making His appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. And every, every Sunday morning when we pull up into the parking lot, it's going through my mind of what am I doing here? I have no right or no worthiness or no position to be behind a pulpit. There's nothing in me that would be deserving of that. And I often think how amazing it is that God has been so gracious in my life. That God has done such a great work of redeeming me from my sin. Of making me a son of His. Of making me to be adopted into the very family of God. How wonderful is that? How amazing is it? I'm not worthy of any of it. And yet God speaks through men. Now, God could have chosen to give us His Word by any means that He desired. He could have airdropped a Bible like a military care package into the hands of every would-be believer. He could have chosen to speak audibly from heaven to every single person whom He intended to save. He could have sent Jesus here to simply stay forever. 
But God has chosen the foolishness of the world. Men such as myself, unworthy and uneducated, simple and small. And He made the foolish to shame the wise. He called men such as myself to proclaim His truth so that He could show in and through me that He can do anything with anyone. If anything, I'm a testament of His grace this morning. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The third thing that Paul reminds us of in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 is of what we are to proclaim. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God will make, were making an appeal through us. And then Paul says, here is what the preacher is to proclaim. We beg you. We plead with you. We beg you on behalf of God. Be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said as he stood in the first church that he pastored, he would, a very short man, he would get behind the pulpit and nail the pulpit to the floor. And literally, he would bring a hammer and nails and nail it to the floor of the church. And he said, this church will live or die by the preaching of the Word of God. If the church is to grow, then it will be because we preach the Word and the sheep have come. If it dies, then it is because we've run off all of the goats in the church. And in the very same way, Paul is calling us to be ambassadors for Christ. Not to make up something more attractive, but simply to preach the Gospel. Simply to beg of men that they would repent. That they would be reconciled to God. And week after week, I have nothing else to give you but the Gospel of Christ. Because the Gospel is not only for sinners. The Gospel is for those who are saved and have forgotten what Christ has done. The Gospel is for those who are saved and need to be reminded and refreshed each and every Sunday, each and every day of just how new the mercies of God are today. My dad said it a couple of weeks ago during our revival service that we need to stop living on yesterday's blessings. We need to stop living just on what God has done yesterday and remember that God is alive and well today working within us. And the Gospel is all that we have to give. Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, said that he strives to preach Christ. My greatest desire in preaching is simply that you would know Christ. In Acts chapter 3, there's a lame beggar outside the temple of Jerusalem. And he's begging for money. He's begging for someone to give him a handout. And Peter and John come along and they say, Silver and gold have I none. But then they give them the Gospel of Christ. And I feel much the same way this morning. Every week when I get behind the pulpit, I'm not very entertaining. There's nothing about me that would draw a big crowd. Silver and gold have I none. Entertainment have I none. But this I have. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. It can save the sinner and sanctify the saint. Unlike nothing else. Nothing else can do what the Word of God can do. And that's why going back to James chapter 3, verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter 
judgment. I study the Word of God. And I prepare my sermons with this in the back of my mind. That I will be judged for every word that I speak behind the pulpit. That everything I say to you will be, as it were, run back through a highlight reel of my life. And I will be judged for every word. It's Jesus Christ Himself who says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, that you will be judged for every careless word that you speak. And so preachers and teachers of the Word are not called to simply say what we want. But we are called to say what God has given. And that's why, James chapter 3, verse 1, that's why in the context of speaking on the tongue, which we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, of speaking well, of speaking cautiously, of speaking carefully, that's why to begin all of what James will say about the tongue and about our speech, he says, first, let not many of you become teachers. Because James understands that there's always a temptation for preachers and teachers to get off track. To begin just wanting to see greater numbers in the church. And so James reminds us, don't go that way. Don't go the way of celebrity status. Don't go the way of simply wanting more people in the pews. Go the way of wanting people to be built up in Christ. And that's why James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers. You need to be very careful, you who preach and you who teach, that everything you say is in line with the Word of God. And this strikes terror in me. This is what keeps me up at night. Knowing that everything I say will be judged before the throne of God. And the second thing I want us to note in James chapter 3, verse 1, is an admonition for the church. An admonition for the church. If you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verses 1 and 2. We'll spend most of our time, remaining time here. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Paul, in speaking to his young protege in ministry, Pastor Timothy who would go on to pastor the church at Ephesus, reminds Timothy of what he is called to do. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Verses 3-5, through five, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate or heap up for themselves, as it says in the King James Version. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Note with me first in 2 Timothy 4.1 that Paul gives a solemn charge. He gives a serious charge. In other words, the the task of preaching is no small thing. The task of preaching is not a casual or flippant thing. The task of preaching is a serious thing. We deal with matters of eternity. And so Paul, speaking to young Timothy, says, I solemnly charge you. But then he doesn't just say, on the basis of my authority. 
I'm telling you that the task you're going into is serious. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. So in other words, by the authority of God Himself, preach the Word. By the charge, by the command of God Himself, be an ambassador for Christ. But then he goes on even further. And he says, this one who has given you the charge, this one who has given you the command, is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. When Christ returns, there will be no more time. When Christ returns, the heavens will split open, the angel band will come down, and Christ will return. And at that moment, at that very moment, we will be judged whether we are in Christ or out of Christ. There will not be time to go and gather up all of the sermons that I've preached if I've preached falsely for all these years and to burn them as though God didn't know they existed. But I will be judged in that exact moment for everything that I have said and done. And Paul goes on and he says, Preach the Word. He gives us not only our command, not only our task, not only what we are to do to preach, but He also gives us the material. Not just preach whatever you feel like saying. Not just preach whatever's popular. Not just preach whatever will draw a crowd. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. My prayer for Mount Carmel is that we would continue, as we have been, to be a church of the Word. To be a church that lives or dies by the preaching of the Word of God. To be a church that doesn't care what the world says. That doesn't care what the world tells us we ought to do. But that we stand firmly and boldly upon the Word of God. Recognizing and realizing that it is only the Word of God that can save. It is only the Word of God that will build us up. And so Paul says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to preach the Word. Be ready to stand on the Word when it's popular and when it's not. When people like it and when they don't. When people want you and when people don't want you. Preach the Word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And here's the admonition. Here's the encouragement that I would give to you as the church. The encouragement that I need for myself as I'm listening to other preachers and to other teachers and reading books. Verse 3. 4. 4. Here's the reason that we must stand firmly upon the Word of God. 4. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves or heap up for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Beloved, we are in this time now. We are in this day now. When people don't want to hear the Word of God. People don't care to hear what's right and wrong. We live in a day which is called postmodern. We live in a day when anything goes. When anybody's truth is their truth and it's, their, it's only theirs and it doesn't necessarily apply to you and your truth is yours, it doesn't necessarily apply to anyone else and just leave everybody alone. Don't say anything to them. Don't tell them that what they're doing is right or wrong. Don't tell them of the, of the coming judgment. Just leave people alone. That's hateful. It's bigoted. It's old-fashioned. Leave them alone. We are in this time now. We are in this day now. And yet, what's interesting to me is while the church has to just shut our mouths, the educational system can say and teach whatever they want. The television can show whatever they want. The radio station can play whatever songs they want, but the church had better not get in the way of any of that. 
We are in this time now. We are in the day now when people do not want to hear the Word of God. And it is in this day. It is in this exact time when people don't want to hear the Word of God. It is in this time that the people need the Word of God the most. It is in this day when our children need to be raised according to the Word of God and according to His statutes. It is in this day when people who are older need to be reminded of what we're called to do. It is in this day when we are called to be salt and light and not to retreat back from culture saying, oh, I just don't have a hand in that. We have the Word of God. And the Word of God is powerful to save. The Word of God is powerful to redeem. And so if you think that you're without, if you think you have no power to influence the community around you, and you have no power to engage the culture around you, then you're exactly right. You have no power in and of yourself. Oh, but beloved, you have the Word of God. And the Word of God has the power to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so my admonition to us would be to be very, very careful who we listen to. Be very careful what books you read. Be very cautious of what pastors you look up on YouTube and listen to on the radio station. Be very cautious to run everything that those preachers and televangelists say through the Word of God. And I would encourage you, Every single thing that I say, listen to it very carefully. Not just taking what I say because I'm the one behind the pulpit, but taking what I say and looking at it through the lens of Scripture and saying, does it match up? And if what I'm telling you doesn't match up with the Scriptures, then kick me out. But if what I'm telling you matches up with the Scriptures, then ask God to apply it to your life. And notice with me here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. It says, For the time will come when they will, endure, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves. Or as it says in the King James Version, they will heap up for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. In other words, there's not going to be a small number of false teachers, but that there are going to be heaps and piles of false teachers. You're going to have to sort through all of the mess to find people who are preaching sound doctrine. And then in verse 4, this is what really burdens me. 2 Timothy 4, verse 4. It says, And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And the language that's used there in the original Greek, it doesn't just mean that they're going to turn away. It literally means that they would be willing to snap their necks to get away from what you have to say. They would be willing to run straight into the gates of hell so long as it means they're running away from what the church is telling them. And then in verse 5, it says, But you, but you, you, church, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. In 2 John 7 through 11, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, this is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, 
that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And here's the encouragement. Here's the warning I want to give to us this morning. 2 John verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of Christ, do not bring him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And so in other words, when a man on a bike dressed in a white shirt comes knocking on your front door, don't open that door and listen to what he has to say unless you're prepared to give him the gospel back and return to what he tells you. When the televangelist whose doctrine is worth less than a suit comes on the TV, turn off the television. Don't sit there and listen to that. When the only books in the bookstore are books that are written by false teachers, save your money for something else. Be very careful who you listen to. Going back to James chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders, for they will give an account before God for you. And so my encouragement for us, my encouragement for myself, my prayer each and every time I pray for Mount Carmel Baptist Church, is that we would let the Word of Christ dwell within us richly. That all of our singing, all of our praying, all of our teaching, all of our community outreach events, everything we do within the life of this church is centered upon the Word of God that reveals the Son of God. And if it's not, if we ever get off track, my prayer is that God would give us a swift kick in the britches to remind us just of what our mission is. Our mission is not to be known as the best and biggest. Our mission is to be known as those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with everything that we have because He loves us with everything that He has. Let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. As we come to a close this morning and our singers come forward to sing a call of response, I want to read the lyrics of an old hymn. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in God's excellent word. What more can be said than to, than to you than God hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? We only have the word of God. And the word of God is all we need. And if you've not yet trusted in this word, if you've not yet repented, as a result of what God's Word has done within you and showing you how desperately you need Christ, I beg of you, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for what You have done in my life and what You have done in the life of this church. And I ask that You would keep us faithful. Keep us on the right track. Keep us on the straight and narrow. Father, help us. Help us to be a discerning people. To be a people who are careful what we listen to, what we hear, what we 
read in what we teach so that it is not our name that is being known, that it is not our name that is being proclaimed, but that it is your name and your name alone that is the banner over this church. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.